Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, why did the Prime Minister spend so much money buying his way out of the vaccination situation when all he had to do was fund companies right here in Canada to produce the vaccination? The House of Commons is back in session and the Prime Minister being peppered with questions about why we are not getting COVID-19 vaccination shots into Canada. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Judy! Oh, I forgot. With COVID-19, every day is a snooty! You can't go anywhere. Oh, it's too bad. Unless, of course, you're part of the elite flying out to get your vaccination. That is all right. Oh, it's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson. Is it me or do these keep getting a little longer every day? Judges have an opinion on that? Okay. All right. Good afternoon. It is 1211. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Man, what a snow day it is. Uh, blizzard out there. Uh, not a bad day to be locked in uh, for a global pandemic, is it? Feel free to jump into the fray. We would love to hear from you. There's lots of ways to do that. You can send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. As well, uh, don't forget the website. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Podcast edition of the commentary waiting for you on Facebook and Twitter in regard to the Governor General. We would love to hear from you and your thoughts on that. All right, uh, as we mentioned, uh, lots of chatter in regard to COVID-19, uh, pullback in uh, the uh, allotment of vaccinations for Canada. We are not receiving any uh, this week, and uh, I guess like about one-fifth of what we would normally uh, receive coming next week. And further, uh, chatter uh, in regard to the uh, European Union spokesperson for them saying that uh, they're going to talk about uh, possibly restricting doses coming out of the U- uh, out of the United Kingdom. Sorry, out of the European Union. Uh, that wouldn't include the United Kingdom, by the way, uh, until they get everybody there uh, vaccinated. Uh, interesting enough, during the uh, Prime Minister's press conference today, uh, he called that musings. The topic of uh, the recent musings by Europe certainly came up. Uh, and uh, it was very, very clear that the Canadian uh, contracts that have been signed and the delivery schedule laid out will be respected. Well, uh, we all know if the government of the day says something, that drastically affects what companies can do. And uh, again, when this is a, uh, a spokesperson from the EU saying this, uh, I hardly think it's musing. So something, uh, again, that we're watching as these stories uh, continue to progress. Here's a clip from Global News's Mike LeCouture. With no doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine being delivered to Canada this week because of retooling at the Belgian plant, the Trudeau government faced plenty of criticism on the first day of Parliament this year. Opposition parties continue to say the Prime Minister's plan is failing Canadians. There are vaccines being made not far from us in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Did the Prime Minister ask for the ability to have that plant used, not just rely on the retooled plant in Belgium? The Canadian government has said doses made at the American plant are earmarked for the U.S. in the first quarter of this year. 
That is Mike LaCouture, parliamentary correspondent for Global News. Mike will be joining us to give us an update on uh, what the Prime Minister said earlier this morning and what he expects uh, in the House coming up uh, a little later on. Uh, let's bring in Tim Powers, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data, and is with us now. Tim, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Well, I'm doing all right, Scott, because I'm about to launch the Governor General Scott Thompson campaign. I mean, why not another celebrity, except you're actually competent and you're well-spoken and you probably wouldn't <laughs> screw it up as much as Julie Payette. So, Scott that- Thompson for Gigi, what do you think? <laughs> ah, you know I'm in. Anything that puts me closer to you, buddy, where we can go out and have a cold one when this is all over, I'm in. Oh, no, you bring your reputation down then, Scott. My God, if they got <laughs> pictures of that, you'll be, be booted out quicker than Payette was ushered oh, in. Oh, my. You know what? I want so much to talk to you about that, but we just don't have time in this short I segment. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, the peppering the Prime Minister has taken in regard to the lack of vaccine coming in. Um, you know, we're certainly hearing great news from this Canadian company out of Calgary yep. uh, that that's now getting into trust, uh, testing. Why didn't we look at any of these options earlier? Many of these companies are saying they weren't even approached. And that excellent question. I look, I know a lot of the government officials that have been working on pandemic response. In fairness to them, I think they've been doing the best that they could and can in all of this in terms of trying to procure equipment and look at things. But I think it's probably a legitimate criticism to say that the real one of the real issues here is we never we let our guard down right uh, we let public health funding get diminished we uh, believed we'd be able to act more quickly if a circumstance like this happened probably didn't respond fast enough when it became known a year ago or actually in 2019 in December that the virus was spreading in China so there's lots of things after the fact that that can be looked at but as you I gather have been rightly ranting about uh, today, people are just really irritated right now, and they have so much hope put in vaccine because we've been conditioned now to believe the way out of this, and it's probably true, is vaccine. So if we're not getting the vaccine we're supposed to get right now when we're locked down, when we're tied up, when we're homeschooling, and we just want to pull all of our hair out, Justin Trudeau's got a lot of angry people as a consequence. Many say, and and I'd love your opinion on this, that one of the reasons we are where we are, which is mid-pack and all of this, is because we did not jump on these deals soon enough. Didn't secure licensing, manufacturing as well. Got a great portfolio here in September, but nothing to manufacture or, or licensing agreements. And we're also hearing that the prime minister spent too much time on the Cancino deal, trying to get that approved with this Chinese company. Is there any accuracy to any of this? I I don't know. It's uh, probably a fair criticism. Let's start with the manufacturing because you and I've batted this around before. Look, we went down a path with generic drugs that uh, meant that the manufacturing practices in Canada for, um, for the brand name drugs, Uh, Canada did look at, uh, as you recall, um, 
manufacturing some drugs in Montreal. Trudeau promised that was going to happen in November of last year. It didn't for a variety of reasons. So not having domestic manufacturing uh, is clearly now is as emerged as a big issue. We see all of these countries retrenching on the importance of that. That's probably have, going to have to change on a go-forward basis. So criticism to be had there doesn't solely rest with Justin Trudeau. It actually starts back further with Jean Chrétien's and decisions that were, were made at that time. Uh, on, uh, you know, on, uh, on, uh, what was the other one you had there? Sorry, you had, uh, we had drugs and there was another point you had in there. Uh, but, but I, I don't know, but let me ask you this. Um, uh, it's not, and let me say this, it's not governments that make vaccines. It's making the atmosphere, the condition, the environment, uh, attractive enough so private companies yep. come in and set up shop here. Everyone's saying, you know, that, uh, the government should have been doing this government, and, and this is really about government's relationship with industry, is it not? It is, um, but you know, Canada did make a strategic choice that there was more money uh, and more opportunity in working with, and the the, the uh, generics had had a very good lobby in the day around all of that. So, but it's so really, is at the end of the day, Apotex's going to give us a vaccine or just cheaper no, versions of Pfizer's is, drugs? Yeah, Apotex. No offense to Apotex, is the no frills of drugs, right? So yeah. by the time Apotex yeah. comes with the drug. Uh, it's, we'll all be vaccinated or not, or, or, or we won't be. But, oh, yes, I know where you were on the contracting of it all. Um, yeah, the, the government keeps hanging its hat on the fact, and you heard the prime minister say this again today. By the end, by September, he thinks September, some are saying it actually won't be until the end of September. His procurement minister has suggested that every Canadian who wants a drug will get vaccinated. Uh, but there's a long way between now and the end of September. There's a long way between the now and the end of March when supposedly we're going to get 4 million uh, doses of the of the Pfizer vaccine and we'll have more of Moderna and maybe the Johnson & Johnson and the AstraZeneca drugs are available. I think people are just so irritated because they're looking across the border now with the new president focusing on getting his vaccinations done. They're hearing about Israel, their 30% rate of vaccination. Uh, you have Doug Ford saying, oh, just drive across the river to or drive well drive yeah it is across the river drive across the ambassador bridge and go into michigan there and get a million a million doses there so it, it's the immediacy of it all and this is again we've talked about this with COVID 19 everybody can relate to it everybody's living through it everybody is watching vaccines and distribution like their hockey scores and people are angry that we're we're being shut out this week uh with no vaccine from pfizer um, it seems that the prime minister just keeps referring back to September yeah. and the big portfolio and such. And Canadians don't seem to care. Um, you know, is it vaccine hesitancy? Oh, you know what? Let everybody else do it first. Um, but, but nobody seems to be upset that we are where we are. Um, it seems that whenever the prime minister comes out and says something, everybody just goes, Oh, okay. Well, that's the way it is. Well, and we have data that suggests that, which I'm sure the prime minister and others have seen. I mean, we, we've done a lot of polling. Abacus has our polling company on Canadians and their view of vaccination. And there is actually, that's where he can play to the crowd right now, a sense that we'll be good Canadians, we'll be patient, we'll wait, because it's going to happen anyway. And that's the message Justin Trudeau is delivering, despite the efforts of Doug Ford to say this is not good enough and other premiers to say this is not good enough. They yet haven't found a big enough audience to drive the prime minister into changing his approach. I guess last week he got shamed into calling the president of Pfizer because he hadn't 
done that, but all of that political optics is not getting us our needles in the arm this week. So will the you know what is inevitably a shortage of this until March? Does that stick to the prime minister? Does anybody care? Again, according to public opinion data that we had done a few weeks ago, no, they don't. But maybe it does. Certainly, that's where the opposition is focusing their efforts. I mean, they got in tr- they got themselves in trouble before, as you remember, when they said uh, when they took kind of the the bait that Trudeau gave them and said we wouldn't get a vaccine until the first quarter of 2021. Then lo and behold, it came forward in uh, in December. Maybe yeah. there's a bit of that game being played now, but. Uh, I, I think the public has other immediate irritations related to COVID. If you're in Ontario and you have children, as you and I do, it's when the hell are they going back to school? It's hard on our mental health. Let's get them back. And that seems to be more prevalent right now than getting them vaccinated because people know you get the vaccine. It's not going to change things right away. It's going to take a few weeks. So things still working for Trudeau, but is he able to ride it out if, if you know, if there's another delay if the contracts aren't adhered to if we're if september becomes december then maybe this gets worse for the prime minister or actually people start when do we get to squeeze in an election here tim when will we squeeze in an election (laughs) as soon as that batch arrives in in april uh you know what scott i I, as i said to you and i think uh, you probably agree with this he couldn't he may be trying to angle back to april or 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 may right the numbers have to go down in quebec and ontario and they're down what are they around 1500 today which is great Uh, they're down in quebec but they have to be consistent i think the number have to be down the kids have to be back at school um people have to have you know they we have to be out of a a lockdown and a state of emergency and there has to be some return to normal and trudeau can say hey look what i've delivered through this and guess what uh we have all the vaccines now by by june you're all going to get vaccinated that's what they've told us here in ottawa by the way that seven hundred thousand people will be vaccinated by canada day all right. Uh, never dull. Tim Powers with us, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies, Managing Director, Abacus Data. Tim, as always, thank you so much. Be well. Your Excellency, Governor General Thompson, always a pleasure. You work on that. I'll hold up my end. <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Here's today's daily commentary. We have all by now heard confirmation of the latest scandal involving former Governor General Julie Payette and her abusive behavior in dealing with the staff at Rideau Hall. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau hand-selected his star candidate for the Queen's representative and claims she was adequately vetted for the position. Many in the know say that simply is not true, and there is plenty of information available that would raise a red flag as to her treatment of others. Unless, of course, abusive behavior is worth tolerating for the perfect image or selfie photo op. Either way, she is out in disgrace, and here's hoping the staff she abused receive some sort of restitution for their pain and suffering. And on that note, many may not be aware of the golden handshake treatment governor generals get on the way out the door, including a hefty pension, security, travel and an expense account with little overview. What's even more disturbing is it appears Julie Payette will receive the same compensation, even though she never finished her term and was fired. Is that right? I'm Scott Thompson. 
All right, let's move on. Uh, the House back in uh, sitting uh, yesterday, and Mike LaCouture is following uh, all of this, parliamentary correspondent for Global News, and with us now. Mike, if, uh, Mike, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, same to you. Thanks for having me on. So uh, yesterday, uh, the Prime Minister took some heat. Again, I'm, I, I'm suspecting he will. Uh, can, can the Prime Minister keep re- uh, reporting the, the line over about the size of our portfolio and, and how many uh, vaccines we're going to get? Is the opposition uh, going to be happy with that? And uh, new information coming out from the EU today that they were considering um, uh, holding back uh, some exports until they get the EU covered. Uh, the, Prime, uh, the Prime Minister called that musings this morning. So what is the situation with the UK or with the United Kingdom, or sorry, the European Union? Yeah, so, I mean, that's what the Prime Minister was talking a lot about today. Um, and when you talk about the portfolio, you know, I, I think that a lot of opposition MPs are saying that portfolio will do, do you a lot of good maybe in September, but what do you tell people now? Um, you know, the fact is, this is the week that Pfizer-BioNTech has sent zero vaccines to Canada. Um, and so, you know, when you talk about them either being in the freezer or not, um, if they're coming out of the freezer, well, they're not going to be replaced uh, at the rate that we want them to this week, uh, at least. So when you talk about the European stuff, yeah, the Prime Minister uh, today was asked about that on a number of occasions because, you know, worried about that kind of protectionist feel that we could be getting from across the pond. Uh, and he said that, look, I've spoken to the, uh, the people at Pfizer. I've spoken to the people at Moderna. They assure us um, what we are contractually um, supposed to have, we will have. What we are understanding is that that contract is seemingly on a first quarter delivery. So in other words, it's not as if they have it sketched out that this week you're going to get this many in the contract. Yes, there's there's a delivery schedule, but it's not like they're going against the contract if they're not delivering this week. Um, it would seem, from what we've hear, heard from procurement Minister Anita Anand, is we have to get, um, you know, 4 million doses from Pfizer by the end of March. However, which way they want to do that. If on the last day they want to just dump 4 million on us, well, then they've fulfilled the contract. Um, But in terms of the protectionism and whether or not uh, the Prime Minister is worried about it, uh, you know, as you mentioned, he talked about that as kind of being musings and and, and hearing about it. And you'll hear a lot about this uh, sort of politicking uh, of it because... It will become political when different leaders are trying to show to their citizens that they are getting the vaccine in a timely fashion. Uh, and when they start to feel the heat, well, then that's when they're going to try and turn up the heat uh, in any way that they can on either the manufacturers or the suppliers or, or any way that they possibly can. So I, I think that's what we're seeing now uh, with the prime minister feeling uh, that kind of a pressure, knowing that, okay, the... The number of doses that we're getting this week, zero, uh, is not being received well. And, and people may understand that it's, it's a supply issue, but at the same time, uh, they don't like it. So he's trying to navigate this. This won't be easy. If we don't have production here, uh, which we don't, then it's not something that Canada can control. There have also been suggestions of why doesn't he pick up the phone, call President Joe Biden, see whether or not we can get some from the, uh, that manufacturing uh, facility, uh, the Pfizer manufacturing facility in Kalamazoo, Michigan. 
it would seem, from what we're told anyways, that those doses in the first quarter are reserved for Americans. Um, and so now we're sort of in this place where, not to say that we have to play the waiting game, but we have to wait to see it all play out um, and and really sort of hold this government's feet to the fire if we're seeing that this ramp up is not going to continue. Trudeau said today, mid-February, but February 15th, he expects us to get hundreds of thousands of doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine uh, sent to Canada. So um, a huge ramp up like that might then start to trickle down or, you know, flood down into the uh, administering the doses so that everybody else can ramp them up. Uh, And I'm not saying, you know, to be continued, let's see if that comes then. But it seems like there's there's very little that this prime minister, this government can do um, until the deliveries start flowing again. All right, Mike, last question. I know you got to run. Uh, what about travel restrictions? Getting a lot of heat, the Prime Minister is about this. Uh, lots are asking, how come we have to stay at home and the elite are flying around? Yeah, and he says that, look, that, you know, Canada has some of the strongest travel restrictions. That, this is what he's saying today, uh, that you must require a, you must have a negative COVID-19 test before getting on a flight coming back into Canada. Uh, and you must, um, you know, quarantine when you get back for 14 days. He's saying that the U.S. is now following suit, and they're actually going to be, um, you know, requiring that same negative test before getting on a flight going into the U.S. The fact is, um, as the prime minister points out, that only about 2% come from travel, 2% of the COVID-19 infections uh, that we seem to have in Canada. At the same time, that's how these variants have gotten in and the more infectious variants. So there's still pressure. Think about it yesterday, Doug Ford pleading with the Prime Minister, do something about this, close the borders. Um, I I personally think that he needed that kind of buy-in from the the premiers to to sort of move to the next phase, to do something else, um, and to harden the borders. The Prime Minister said today they're looking at it, um, they're seriously considering things, and, and, you know, we'll have something to announce very soon. What they will do, though, is, is unclear, because, um, you know, you can't constitutionally prevent the Canadian from leaving or coming back into Canada. But there's got to be something that this government can do to prevent, uh, as you said, either the elite or the influencers who, you know, Instagram influencers who think it's a really good time to head down mm. to the Caribbean. Um, th- there's got to be some way to either appeal to these people or say to them, sorry, you just can't. Uh, and, and if it is one of those things like we did at the beginning, think about it, uh, right at the beginning of this pandemic, anybody that was coming off the Diamond Princess, anybody that was stuck um, uh, you know, overseas was brought to CFB Trenton and said, you're staying here for 14 days. Um, that would be a pretty good uh, way of dissuading people from going away, I think, <laughs> following up their their... their they're one to two week vacation on an island saying that you're going to have to be two weeks uh, on, an, on a military base. That might be a good way to dissuade people. Michael Couture is with us, parliamentary correspondent for Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight. Mike, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Same to you. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. It's been quite a day as uh, obviously uh, this week, um, no vaccinations coming in from, um, I guess, I, either of the suppliers, Moderna or Pfizer. Fi- uh, Moderna coming next week. Uh, Pfizer, of course, on a reduced schedule uh, because they are, uh, I guess, refurbishing their plant in Belgium. So no Pfizer vaccines this week and uh, a very, 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 very small percentage 
of uh, vaccines delivered next week. What's frightening in all of this is it appears that other uh, countries have resumed their uh, vaccination uh, process from uh, Belgium and uh, spokespeople for the EU are saying that now they are concentrating on vaccinating the EU and are talking about restricting exports of the vaccination from Belgium to places like Canada, which obviously uh, uh, puts us in a, an even more precarious situation than we were at the beginning of all of this. Many have asked questions why we uh, are not involved in this. Uh, and a reminder, governments do not produce vaccines. Private companies do. And we have to create scenarios that make it viable for them to do business in Canada. If not, they just go to other parts of the world and we end up with the situation that we're in. And uh, obviously, our lack of self-sufficiency has uh, has caught us here. The good news is, in all of this, a made-in-Canada vaccine uh, to protect us against COVID-19 is beginning its human clinical trials today in Toronto. Uh, Toronto-based Providence Therapeutics said three shots will be given to 60 adult volunteers at a, cl- a clinical trial site in Toronto in the first phase of the trial. To talk more about all of this, Brad Sorensen is with us, CEO of Providence Therapeutics, and is with us now. Brad, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I well, appreciate it. Thank you. Tell us about this company, Brad. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I, first I'm, I'm, I'll just make a quick correction. It was, it was reported incorrectly that it's three doses. It's actually two doses. That's what I was uh, wondering. Okay, thanks. Yeah, yeah it's the same as so we are an mRNA vaccine, the same as Moderna and and uh, and the Pfizer vaccine. Um, we we uh, designed our vaccine back in March of 2020, and we approached the government in April and said, you know, we can do this. And um, and it wasn't until much later on that we finally did get some funding to sponsor our phase one trial, which we just we just kicked off. So we're extremely pleased. We've already we actually we started dosing volunteers last week. We've already uh, kicked that off, and we should be finished our phase one trial in a couple months, and be ready to go into phase two and phase three as early as May. And so this is a this is big for Providence, and it's big for Canada. Um, this is the first vaccine that was designed. Um, all the preclinical testing, all the manufacturing, everything occurred in, in Canada. And now our clinical trials in Canada. And, and you are speaking of exactly what it appears we have been missing here in this country. You said you approached the government in March. Why did it take till now to get this ball rolling? Uh, I think the government was distracted with other issues and challenges at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and they thought that, you know, right or wrong, that they could purchase vaccines and, and that would solve the problem. Um, we've always been consistent in our messaging that we need to have resiliency and we need to have a Canadian solution. I, I'm on record saying if you thought getting PPE was difficult, wait till there's a vaccine, guys. It's mm. so and, uh, you, you sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it's just it's. It's frustrating. I, I, you, know, you always want to be wrong, and I hope Canada gets all the vaccines they need by fall. Um, that would be ideal. <laughs> So let me ask you this, and obviously, you know, you're coming it from the from the the private uh, lab side of this. But if you had got approval earlier, when you first approached government in March, where would you be today? In March, we were two months behind Moderna. 
So you would be rolling out a vaccine in the next month or so. Yeah, I would say we we would definitely be rolling out a vaccine by summer. But Man, it, that's yeah. You know, so it, it you know it's probably six or nine months delay at the end of the day. So uh, you know, obvi- obviously, we'll look back at how we did this after it's all over and 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 make suggestions suggestions about what needs to be done but it seems that rather than looking for a homegrown solution we just started to buy up everything we could at that point well see the frustrating thing is is let's assume that we can get all the vaccines in canada that we need there's still a worldwide pandemic yeah and and what we're seeing now is we're seeing these variants come up and so we can we can you know at extreme cost we can try and jump the queue and we can try and get every Canadian vaccinated, but it's still gonna we're still gonna be facing restricted travel we're still gonna be facing economic challenges we're still gonna have these problems because there's a worldwide pandemic, and rather than competing for scarce resources we could be adding to the solution we could be exporting we could be doing things to help solve the problem in Canada and abroad, and as opposed to competing for these scarce resources it seemed earlier on in this the 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 prime minister was talking about uh, uh you know a government lab and doing this and doing whatever but it isn't governments that come up with vaccines it's private companies is it not and we have to make conditions uh palatable so it's worth worth them doing business here isn't that what uh, this comes down to yeah but even i mean it, the reality is is it there's just yeah as a private company we came forward we came forward with a solution um we need some support and you know it's again we we compete for capital you know with any other company moderna got a billion dollars pfizer got you know loads and loads of money from the european union um you know we've in under a year we developed and are in clinical trial of an mrna vaccine and we did it for about 12 million bucks without any support. And we should mention that this uh, this mRNA vaccine that is the new uh, the new type of vaccine that Moderna and, for, and Pfizer's uh, yeah. uh, working yeah. on. It's not a, it's not old technology. Uh, I'm reading an article here. Uh, I believe this is in the CBC uh, where you're quoted. We reached out to the Canadian government and said, "Hey, you've heard of Moderna? We're doing the exact same thing. We went from concept into the in uh, in the clinic in under a year without the same level as." support uh, of support as our peers had that's what you're talking about other companies got lots and lots of money to do this while canadian companies were standing with their hands up mm-hmm. yep and and it continues you know when when all when they had the interruption supply canada just goes out and signs more supply agreements for for with you know other companies right um, you know, they tried signing more with AstraZeneca. They tried signing more with Novavax. They're just, they're trying to buy their way out of a problem as opposed to dealing with the, the fundamental challenge of the problem. So the, the other thing is, is again, I'm, I'm coming back to the variants. The one thing messenger RNA is, is it's faster than any of the other ones. It's more nimble and it's proven 95% effective. Like nobody's going to pass that bar. We have a messenger RNA company in Canada. You know, Moderna came out earlier this week and they said that they're doing a uh, South African variant. They're going to take that into the clinic. 
because right now the South African variant looks appears like it's not going to be effective with uh, with the current vaccines that are being developed. We we already developed that variant. We we've we've already designed it and we've already done it in in um, what we call um, in in uh, vitro testing. This is sort of like in cell cultures. Um, the only reason we haven't done it in vivo is because it's so rare that you you don't have access. The scientific community needs to to follow up to provide the animal models so you can test it. But we've we've already we've already done that. So like we we, we can do the same thing as all the big boys can do, and we can do it in Canada. Um, it's just you know, and we're going to need that. COVID is endemic now, which means it's it's in worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. The likelihood of eradicating it is is negligible, and so it's a matter of how are we going to manage it, and do we want to every single time there's some type of new variant or flare-up be going hat-in-hand to the international community, or do we want to be a contributor to those solutions? Many have said that uh, during the early stages of this pandemic, when when you were coming up and, and looking for support from the federal government uh, back in March and April, uh, uh, many were talking about the government spending too much time on a CanSino deal, which was a Chinese company uh, waiting for uh, their vaccine. And then uh, the story I heard was then, you know, come August when it was time to put this through approvals, the Chinese government said, no, you can't have the vaccine. We got issues here. Uh, we all know that the issues between China and Canada uh, and, and, and said, that's it. You're not getting those now. And then all of a sudden the mad dash was on to try to buy up everything else we could find. Is there any truth to any of that? Uh, I'll leave that to reporters to sort out. <laughs> okay, I understand that completely. So what happens now? Are you getting support from the federal government now that you're the Providence Therapeutics is making headlines and you've sort of busted through the wall yourself? Uh, are you getting that support from the federal government? Um, yeah, we're, so we're getting support from the NRC, uh, the National Research Council, which is part of the federal government. Um and they've sponsored our phase one trial. So we've received $4.7 million of support um, from from the government for that. Um, and that is limited to our phase one trial. We, we're already in our phase one trial. Now we're trying to plan for phase two and phase three. And we're reaching out again and we're saying, okay, we, we did everything we said we were going to do and with, with without the support. we Let's be proactive. Let's look forward, guys. Let's design our phase two. Let's design our phase three. Let's look at the manufacturing issues, the supply chain issues, and let's solve them now. We've taken Providence. There was a press release uh, last week. Uh, we've we did a joint application with another company called Northern RNA out of Calgary for manufacturing, and that was strictly focused on on manufacturing the raw materials that are needed for messenger RNA vaccines. Okay. The reality is, is there's supply chain challenges in in this. The, until Pfizer was approved in December, there had never been a messenger RNA drug ever approved, mm-hmm. and so the infrastructure to support that industry didn't exist. So everybody's building it on the fly, and so you know they're talking about you know refitting um, manufacturing for this process. They're talking about supply chain issues, all of these things. We took the foresight and Providence has, has 
found partners in Canada to do all of the precursors, to do everything that we need to do, and now we're getting to the final stages of commercial scale-up. Um, and we need to talk to the Canadian government about that. Um, and so, but yeah, it, it takes a thoughtful approach. And and you need to have that, not just for this go-around, for this year. You need it for for next year, next year, next year. We, we want to be able to respond and and respond quickly so that we don't go through another 2020. So um, providing everything moves as per scheduled, when do you expect the the Providence Therapeutics vaccine to be ready to go into arms? Uh, so, yeah, so we're, we're, like I said, we're dosing in clinical trial right now. We would, if everything goes to schedule, we'll be finishing up our all of our clinical trials by the end of this year and be rolling out, looking for approval early, early in, in 2022. So you're still looking at something for next year for approval. We are now. I mean, again, if 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 there was a level of will, you could you could likely move things along a little bit faster. But we're we're committed to doing you know very thorough, safe you know studies and working with Health Canada and designing our clinical trials to make sure that that we build the confidence in the public that they need in order to take the vaccine. Do you think uh, you brought up an interesting point and in, in, in segueing into hesitancy? It seems, you know, that that Canadians seem to be fine with this. Canadians are just starting to get a little cranky about the fact that there is no supply. I mean, for weeks, they've been pointing at the provincial government saying, oh, no, it's it's distribution. They're, they're sitting in fridges. There's no distribution going on here. Half of the vaccines that are coming in aren't even being used, which, you know, we obviously later find out are for the second dose. Uh, but there's been very, very little until now uh, concern about the supply and you know i was talking to a guest the other day you know and she said well you know uh we want to make sure it all works and that no one's getting it's like well that's hesitancy that's vaccine hesitancy is that one of the reasons this isn't a bigger deal in canada because i don't know i'm thinking that canadians should be just ticked right off with the fact that you know here we are caught with our pants down and there's companies like yours that are standing in the wings ready to step up well the you know, nobody's dealt with a pandemic before, right? Mm-hmm. Not not in our lifetimes. And so, you know, I'm I'm really hesitant to to throw stones and say, you know, every, you we know, we should have done this. Is wrong. Yeah. yeah. But but when you say all, you know, all when the government comes out and says we want to have a made in Canada solution, which they did, and when they come out and they and they communicate that you know all you know all options are on the table and they've been really aggressive in certain options and they've been less aggressive in other options um it's just that's that's the frustration right so uh, you know was it wrong for them to try and, like, i don't think you're going to get a lot of people in canada arguing that you know they're being aggressive to try and get access to vaccines into canada um but you know that's not that's not the only part of the solution right and so um and as for the you know for the rollout um you know they were acting on information that was given to them that they were going to continue to get a steady supply with regards Mm -hmm. to you know how they were administering the doses it's touched me personally my mother-in-law works at at a senior's home um and she got her first dose and then the supply was gone 
And now she's wondering, you know, she's got anxiety and she's wondering, well, what, what now? Um, cause there's no second dose. Is she, is she better off, worse off? She doesn't know. And that's unnecessary. There's enough stress going on in the world already. We don't need to rely on international community to support us. We can do it ourselves. So that being said, and I know obviously you're working on your own project here, but any comments on where we are as far as now, today, the European Union saying they're going to possibly restrict the export of these drugs until they get the EU under control, and uh, obviously what's going on in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and the doses they're pumping out there, uh, hoping for something from the United States when, they got, when they're having their own issues. Um, where do you think we stand with the delays there? Um, uh, they're foreseeable. I mean, you, yeah. the, 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 you can't spend billions and billions of dollars and, and then export that product um, when your people need it. Uh, you know, am, mm-hmm. are you faulting the European Union? Or are you faulting the U.S.? Yeah. I mean, the U.S. came up with warp speed, and they, they, I mean, they, they spent multiple billions of dollars. Um, and, you know, again, I, I came back to the PPD issue, like with, you know, when we're, when we're talking about face masks. Now you're talking about public will and demand, and politicians are going to respond to that. And you're talking about economics, and they're going to respond to that. Canada assumed that there was going to be sufficient supply. Um, and maybe that was an incorrect, incorrect assumption. Um, we can still deal with it and we can still solve the fundamental problem as opposed to just going out and trying to do more and more and more purchase contracts. We can, you know, we can reevaluate and we can go and correct the situation and build out supply and build our own warp speed program so that we're ready to go. Brad Sorensen's been with us, CEO of Providence Therapeutics, a Canadian company that's in the midst of uh, human tr- uh, clinical trials uh, this week in Toronto, hoping to get their COVID-19 uh, mRNA vaccine uh, into arms early next year uh, in Canada. Uh, congratulations, Brad. Good for you. Uh, keep up the great work, and uh, hopefully you can help us through all of this. Be well. Awesome. Thanks. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, let's go to Andrew Graham, reporter for Global News Radio in London uh, at uh, 980. And and in regard to the team that passed away, uh, initially it was thought from uh, COVID-19. That being said, it doesn't look like we will ever find out uh, for sure. Let's bring Andrew in. Andrew Graham, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me. Andrew, what can you tell us about this teenager that passed away? Well, Yassine Debay, uh, he died on Thursday, and then two days later, the Middlesex London Health Unit had reported his death was related to COVID-19. Uh, when that was first put out, we got a bunch of social media reaction on our, on, our, on our Facebook page, on our Twitter page, saying that that wasn't the case. So again, it became a question of, did he die from COVID-19? Did he die with COVID-19? Questions surrounding his death. Um, a day later, on Monday, the Middlesex London Health Unit held another uh, media briefing saying that they wouldn't be able to confirm if it was COVID-19 due to the fact that they wouldn't be conducting an autopsy or a medical investigation. So we thought the story had ended there, but this morning, the family actually came out and held their own news conference uh, just at 10 a.m. this morning. And the father of Yassine, Ahmed Dabey, he came out and confirmed that, yes, his son did die from COVID-19, 
And then he also addressed the reaction on social media. He says these are false rumors. He doesn't know where people got this idea from. Some people were saying that it was suicide or something else, but he said none of this is true, and his family's been very upset by the whole, the whole social media reaction that's been garnered online from this story. So just to clarify here, Andrew, was, was there an autopsy? How do we know the cause of death? So there was no autopsy, and that's because the family chose to proceed with the burial. He, he was buried on Friday. Uh, according to the father, he, he was given blood work from the coroner, and the blood work had indicated that it was related to COVID-19. Again, from a medical investigation standpoint, the health officials, our, our local health unit says they won't be able to confirm it, but the father is coming out and saying that this was related to COVID-19 and that he had blood work to prove this. Um, but I think the underlying thing that he really wanted to get across was that on social media, folks were claiming that this was either suicide or a drug overdose. Those those claims right. are all false. Those are all false rumors. Uh, that being said, we is it true that we won't know if he did pass from COVID nineteen without that autopsy? I mean, I understand that the blood works there ahead of time, but you can also have the test positive for the disease, be asymptomatic, and be a cause of death, be something else. That is possible, and we did ask some questions surrounding, you know, did he have symptoms leading up to the death? Was he ever hospitalized? He says his son was hospitalized a number of times. He was treated for no more than two or three hours for chest pains and stomach pains. He said his son was complaining about having soreness in his body, again, those chest pains, trouble breathing leading up to his death. Um, and then on Thursday, he had died. And I should note as well, the, the entire family, as of right now, is infected with COVID-19, um, which has obviously made it much more difficult right. for them. I mean, the mother and the father, they weren't even able to attend the burial because they, didn't, they, they couldn't risk spreading the, the virus. What, so obviously, if the, uh, the rest of the family has tested positive, there is an issue there. Um, what uh, any other is it known, Andrew, whether the, the person suffered from any other medical conditions at all? His son said, or his father rather said that his son had no underlying medical conditions. Again, the only thing that he could point to was the, the, the stomach pains and, and the chest pains his son had complained about uh, in, in the days leading up to his death. But apart from that, he said he was a, a healthy person, uh, a loving, outgoing person, um, and a hardworking uh, man as well. And worked in the long-term care. What do we know about his position, what he did, that sort of thing? Yeah, so he was a cleaner at Middlesex Terrace. That's a long-term care home in Delaware, just west of London. Um, that home itself had been under a COVID-19 outbreak since December 23rd. As of today, that outbreak is still active. Um, he was a cleaner. He was on a contract, so he wasn't unionized. Um, but again, as a cleaner, you know, he worked with, uh, you know, sanitization, making sure rooms were clean, going in and out of different rooms. But in terms of the actual job itself, his father said that his son never expressed any concerns about health or safety within the long-term care home. He said his son was really happy to work there, really satisfied to work there. Um, and he never once ever thought that, you know, he was at any risk. He describes it as just being, and these are his words through a translator, just being in the unfortunate situation of him contracting the virus there. Any idea, Andrew, how long he was ill before he did pass? His father says that his son had uh, was diagnosed on the second week of January, so that'd be between January 11th, January 15th. Um, so that would have, and again, his death took place on Friday, on Thursday, uh, January 21st. So that's about a, a two-week period from when he received the diagnosis. Uh, as I mentioned, his family is still currently uh, infected with the virus. So 
again, the diagnosis and the terms of actually when he was infected, I mean, there's obviously a give and take there. But according to his father, his son was uh, diagnosed on the second week of January. Wow. Um, how How is the rest of the family doing? You've said they've tested positive. Are they okay? Yeah, so it is a big family. They they have they have seven other or, or eight other siblings. Uh, seven seven boys, one girl. Then obviously with you seen uh, the, the late son there again. He says it's been a very difficult time, but um, he only mentioned the mother having been hospitalized uh, three times now. Uh, apart from the the infections, he says just again having to deal with the social media reaction and even having to you know do a news conference with reporters. He says that's all been a very difficult process and. And he is grateful, however, for the amount of support he's received. So it is a very tragic case for them and a very sad case. You know, this is a family who came to Canada in 2016 from Syria. Hmm. He sought a better life for his son and his family, and he wanted his son to have a successful career, a, a good education. So a lot of layers to the story here. Man, that is tragic. Um, how is London Health officials, how are they reacting to this? We haven't heard yet from them uh, on following this morning's news conference. Yesterday, they were very hesitant to give, I don't want to say hesitant, but they just didn't have the information because um, the way it works is they have the coroner, then they have the health unit. So they, there's a bit of uh, the understanding between the coroner and the health unit was that we wouldn't have an autopsy, we wouldn't have a, a full medical investigation. So they worked with what information they had, they gave us what they could. And at the time, this was yesterday again, they said, we're going to have to be satisfied with the limited information that we have right now. Um, but again, this is obviously a developing story this morning, kind of kind of uh, turned to the page there in a sense. Uh, obviously, Andrew, what which stands out in this is the age of, of this boy, 19 years of age. We, we certainly know that how it affects those in long-term care, but there's not many of his age that have passed away. Uh, that's got to resonate not only with, with citizens, but also with health officials. It definitely has to. When, when, when this case broke, I mean, this is the youngest death we've had in this region of London and Middlesex County. This is the youngest death related to COVID-19. When it, when it first broke, health officials were saying, you know, this is, this is any death is, is a tragedy. But to have it in someone so young, you know, and have it something so new, so, something that's not really seen before, just adds to the tragedy again. It, they described it as a, a very rare occurrence. Uh, where someone who is young and is diagnosed with COVID-19 dies. Those are the words of Dr. Alex Summers, our Associate Medical Officer of Health. So, again, they were just reflecting on, on the tragedy of the situation and, and the rarity as well. What about other staff at this home, Andrew? Are they protected? You said that you said the father said that you know it didn't seem that that it was an issue that he, his son didn't necessarily uh, fear for his life or such. Uh, what about others there? Are they protected? Do they have what they need? Well, at the moment, there's not much known about the home itself. Again, we know that it's still under a uh, under a COVID-19 outbreak, according to our local health officials. But there's no word on how many staff or how many residents have been infected. Now, I will say for London and the surrounding area, we are in the process of having our long-term care homes vaccinated and having uh, that includes staff and residents. Um, but as for the home itself, there hasn't been much news in terms of you know, what kind of uh, preventive measures are in place, what kind of health measures are in place, were folks masking, were there, you know, plexiglass, bar- plexiglass barriers, what have you. So there, there is a, a bit of unknown. But again, most that we do know is, as you mentioned, the father saying that his son did not express health concerns while working there. Where does this go from here, Andrew? Is uh, now that obviously uh, there's been a burial and such, um, 
can, is there anything to learn from this? How, how does how do we move forward from this? Well, I think one of the biggest questions will be, you know, wanting that medical confirmation that this was COVID-19. Because as you mentioned, you know, there's different ways that this could have been related. Like, did he die with COVID-19? Did he die from COVID-19? Unfortunately, it seems that we won't get that answer. It seems we'll have to we'll have to rest with what the father's saying. And the father did express that, you know, he wants his privacy. He wants to have time to mourn over this because, as he mentioned, when he saw the social media reaction, initially what the family was doing was individually responding to each person who was commenting these different mm. lies. And obviously that didn't really work for them. You can only do that for, you know, so many hours of the day. So from here, I guess we'll have to see, you know, when's the next young death in London related to COVID-19? Because, again, this is a rare case. And if there's any medical insights we can gain from this. So we'll have to see you know, where this develops. But in terms of learning more about the actual case itself, I don't foresee us um, learning much more beyond what we received today. Are you expecting the Middlesex London Health Unit to comment on this any further, or is, is this case closed for them? Well, we'll definitely ask. And again, from what we gathered from yesterday was that they didn't really have much insight to give beyond what they had already given, was that, you know, they couldn't medically confirm that this was a COVID-19 related death. Um, we haven't seen a statement yet. There's a chance they might put a statement out. You know, they're, they're, they are very active on social media. They are very responsive to these situations. So we'll have to wait and see. And and they do have another uh, media briefing tomorrow, just in general, on COVID-19. So if we do hear something, it would likely come from there. But for the time being, I think most folks are just offering the support, offering their sympathy, and just trying to help his family get through something that no family really should go through. Andrew Graham's been with us, reporter for Global News Radio in London, uh, 980 CFPL. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you so much for having me. Be well. It's, uh, man, what a tragic story. And uh, it, it just grabs your attention when this past weekend, because, again, we know that uh, COVID-19, uh, it, it's been it's been ravishing uh, seniors and, and those especially in the age of 80 and above. And for the most part, uh, young people uh, have been able to get away with this. And in, in some situations, when they do test positive, they're they're asymptomatic. So now you hear of this poor 19 year old uh, Yassine Debay, who who is working in one of these long term care homes uh, as a cleaner and such and um, comes home. Uh, obviously, uh, it, it appears infected, considering, of course, that the rest of the the family is uh, is now tested positive for this, although uh, unfortunately, um, due to the fact that there uh, was not an autopsy, we will not have any real clear indication of uh, what it was that uh, that the 19-year-old passed away from, whether um, it, it was something directly related to COVID-19 or, as we've seen in other situations, where people pass away uh, from other uh, related conditions and then... Uh, are as well are testing positive for COVID-19, but are asymptomatic and never really hold any of the, uh, of the conditions of the symptoms or, or suffer from any, uh, aspects, uh, of this global pandemic. So, uh, you know, a very bizarre scenario and, uh, just a tragic, uh, turn of events for this family. And, uh, 
uh, now have lost uh, their 19-year-old son who worked in a long-term care home. So um, hopefully the rest of the family will be fine and uh, they'll be able to uh, to quarantine and, and get things under control. And uh, that will be the uh, last that this family has to, to suffer uh, in regard to uh, this global pandemic. A, a tragic story. And it, it certainly has to raise eyebrows for those that say, ah, you know, it doesn't affect me. It only affects old people. Uh, when here we have uh, someone who's uh, just doing a part-time job and ends up falling victim uh, to this disease. Uh, a terrible turn of events. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.